Thank you for listening to audio from Glen Meadows Baptist Church. We hope it blesses you in your relationship with Jesus Christ. If you are not a current member of Glen Meadows, we encourage you to visit one of our services, Sundays at 9 a.m., 10.30 a.m., and 6.30 p.m. If you would turn with me in your Bibles to the book of 1 Peter. And in 1 Peter, we have been going through this series on strong. And so this morning in chapter 4, 1 Peter chapter 4, starting in verse 1, we're going to be looking at a strong walk and a strong talk. And that's what this text is all centered around, and that the Lord has for us so much more. And you may have grown a lot in Christ. The Lord has so much more for you. This may be your first day as a Christian, and uh, you just turned your life to Jesus when you came in this building, and, and God has so much in store for you, and that's one thing that we can know. I have spoken to a lot of people who don't know the Lord, as, as you have, and I've, I've tried to uh, speak with them about the Lord, and, and they say, well, I'm never going to church. And I said, well, I didn't even bring up church. That's, that's another subject. He said, well, I'm never going to church. Well, by the way, why don't you want to go to church? He said, well, it's, he said, I, I hate hypocrites, and I don't want to be a church with a bunch of hypocrites. And I said, that's fantastic, because God hates hypocrites too. You have a lot in common with the Lord Jesus Christ already. Here's a starting point. He hates hypocrites. He hates it when we say one thing and do another. And so, uh, but realize a hypocrite doesn't mean someone who never sins. A hypocrite is someone who claims to never sin, but then does. They claim to be holier than thou, but they're worse than they. I mean, it's just not, it's not the right kind of person. But really what we are is we are chief of sinners, saved by grace, accepted by Jesus, by His blood, His death on the cross, and now we pursue Him in the Holy Spirit. That's who we are. No one in this room is any better than anybody else, right? You might have heard that before. It's just the truth. We all fall short of the glory of God. So you may be here today and you may not have accepted Christ as your Lord and Savior. And as we talk about these things of our walk and our talk as a Christian, uh, it should remind you of a couple things. Number one, it should remind you that coming to Jesus is a heart issue. Yeah, there's things that we know, but it's not primarily a head issue. Heard a testimony of a guy who was a professor at Harvard in neurosurgery, pretty smart guy. He was a, a follower of Jesus, and he just said he believed that he could intellectually connect all the dots for all of his friends so that they would mentally accept Jesus as Lord and Savior. And he said, I've never done that ever because it's a heart issue. The facts are simple. You're here because God made you. There's no way to get to God because we're, we've all sinned. So he sent his son to die on the cross and he rose from the dead. That's a fact. Now the question is, what are you going to do with it? Some people don't want to come to Christ because they want to run their own life. So we come to a, an issue of lordship. And so lordship is Jesus being Lord of our life. He, When we talk, we want to say things that he would say, when we go places, we go the places he would go. When we leave places, we're leaving the places he would leave. It's as if we put on his glasses and now we see things from his perspective. That is lordship. It's not a battle of the will. We've already surrendered our will to him. And that's what it's like. So in this passage of scripture, it's very interesting that he tells us we are to act in a certain way. So what I read to you in this passage, verse 11 is basically, basically the conclusion of what our life should look like. That our speech should be the oracles of God. Just like, oh, it should just, we should say good things. We should, we should not have a potty mouth, right? We, dial soap, never forget it. That's just all I have to say. You know, shouldn't have that. Um, we, it, it's, a, it's beyond words, it's, it's content. No slander, no malice. 
love, joy, uh, speaking the truth in love. That's what it's really referring to. And then when we serve, we don't just serve in the strength of our own ingenuity or our own talent, but we serve in the power of God. So these things are walk in our talk. How do we become that kind of person? When I read this passage, I'm like, how do I become this kind of man? Well, he tells us, verse 1, the very first thing is to arm yourself. Look what he says. Therefore, since Christ suffered in the flesh, arm yourself also with the same resolve. So that word arm yourself literally means, literally means lock and load. That's what it means. It means it's, it's a word that's only used in the New Testament one time, and here it is. You go to the other literature in the Greek to find out how they used it, and it meant pick up your sword and let's go to battle. Lock and load, be ready. You and I are to arm ourselves for a certain task, and it's serious just like war because we are in a battle. It's not a cakewalk. It's not just a circus. It's not just, a church isn't just a place to dress up and sing pretty songs. We are in a battle because we have an enemy, right? If you don't know you have an enemy, then you've been licked already, right? It's just, you're just done. But when we wake up ready to be locked and load, arming ourselves specifically with the resolve of Jesus, the same resolve. Now, where do we get this resolve? Well, he suffered in the flesh and he had this same resolve. So here's where we see it. We see it in verse 18. For Christ also suffered of chapter 3. So you could draw a line if you, if you got your pencil. And, you, and of course, you have your Bible. If you don't have a Bible, there's one in the chair in front of you. You look at verse 1. You take this Christ suffered, resolved, draw a line up to verse 18. And here's what it says of chapter 3. For Christ also suffered for sins once for all, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring you to God after being put to death in the fleshly realm <clears throat> but made alive in the Spirit. In other words, even He, even Jesus, the one who created the world, <clears throat> the one who knows the hearts and minds of everyone, He knows your heart and mind. He loved them. He demonstrated His love. <clears throat> and yet they crucified Him. They chose Barabbas over Jesus. And here's what Jesus did. He endured it. Why? Because He, he, he suffered and left us an example and verse 1 says, therefore, because Christ did this, you and I, at a point in time, say, I'm locked, I'm loaded, I'm resolved to live like Christ. Now, that's a decision. Jesus made the comment, you need to pick up your cross and follow me. It'd be similar to us in our day. We are, we are literally saying, you know what? <clears throat> I no longer live for myself. I live for Jesus. And I am locked, and I'm loaded, and I've made that decision. Um, have you decided? You say, you know, I've been a church member my whole life, but I've never heard anything like that. It's possible. I mean, the true message of Jesus, sometimes we have selective hearing, right? We just want to hear what we want to hear. We have a heart that's oriented a certain way that we only certain kinds of words just start to penetrate. But then the next thing you know, you open your mind up to what Scripture says, and then all of a sudden, you start hearing the voice of God more clearly. And, and you hear the Word of God, and you see it, and then conviction, the Spirit brings conviction in your heart, and it connects. And the reality is, Jesus being Lord of our life and Master is how He gives us an abundant life and a glorious life. So we follow Jesus in this. We make a point in time that I'm going to, I want Jesus to run my life. And he says this, here's how we are to be resolved. 
to have the same attitude. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 15 says this, For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weakness, but one who has been tested in every way, as we are yet without sin. So we follow Jesus, and why do we follow Him? Because He's like us. He laid aside the prerogative of all his deity, and he became a man, and he lived like you and me. And it's like he's showing us, listen, follow in my way. I will show you how to live. And if you do it like I do, you're going to have an amazing life. And we can trust him because he was fully human on earth, fully deity, never, never ceased to be God. But yet when he was on earth, he lived like you and me. He was even tempted, not internally, but externally. And, but yet without any sin. And so He is our champion. He is the one that we follow. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2-4 through 4 says this, <clears throat> Keeping your eyes on Jesus, the source and the perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before Him endured the cross and despised the shame, and He sat down at the right hand of God's throne for cons- uh, for consider him who endured such hostility from sinners against himself so that you won't grow weary and lose heart. In struggling against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your own blood. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2 and 4. So we're to follow him because he's worthy. Because he's just like us when he was on earth. And he gives us the right. And so we're, we are to have, you and I are to have the same resolve that Jesus did. Your eyes are fixed, your path is cemented, and you're going. So how do we do this? Well, because the one who suffered in the flesh has finished with sin. In other words, uh, if, you're, if you're choosing to suffer, then you're, you're dedicated. That's what that means. Um, <clears throat> just for those who are familiar with the way that Paul uses the word flesh, and the way that Peter uses the word flesh are most of the time different. Paul uses flesh as a sinful current within our life. Peter just uses it as just alive in the body. So just for clarity. So when he's using this, he says, in order to live the remaining time in the flesh, not meaning in the sinful nature, but literally meaning alive in your body, um, we are to literally uh, no longer have, no, do that no longer for human desires. We're not to do that. So, verse 2, in order to live the remainder of your time, not after human desires, but for the will of God, um, he calls it that. We are literally to chase after the will of God. This is when you arm yourself, you're resolved, and you are to chase after the will of God. Look at at the way this works in verse 2. In order to live, if you're going to live, You are going to live, and you're going to have desires, but you no longer live according to the sinful desires, but you live according to the will of God. So you have mind, will, and emotion. You have an old nature. You have a new nature as a Christian. And the new nature is really, really wanting to follow the Lord, and the old nature is really, really wanting to follow the flesh. And it it is the flesh. It's meaning the, the sinful desires. There isn't a person in this room or listening that doesn't have sinful desires. We all have sinful desires. But as a Christian, you also have a capacity to to choose righteousness instead of sinfulness. And so in this text, what it's talking about is there there are sinful desires, but then there is the will of God outside of desires. So your will should choose the will of God. Your will should look down within your soul 
and not choose the sinful desires, but choose the righteous acts. Should choose what's right. So you have an option. You can either uh, choose to get mad or you can choose to speak the truth in love. You have that choice. And so you reach down, you, you reject the sinful desires, and you choose the very will of God. Now, one of the things I pray for, there's four things I always pray for Now, when I'm praying for the church and the community. But one of those things is conviction, just that conviction would fall not only on Glen Meadows, that we as a church would be sensitive to the movement of the voice of God, that we would be under the sway of the Holy Spirit. That's what I mean by conviction. Conviction doesn't mean condemnation. Conviction doesn't always mean uh, you're doing something wrong, but you have a conviction of right and wrong. Basically, it has to do with right and wrong. And that the Lord, as He says, will lead us into all truth. We pray that we as a church would be more sensitive to the conviction of God. In fact, in January, I think it is, yeah, in January, we're going to be going through a series called Ten. It's going to be on the Ten Commandments. And we're going to be mainly because... Uh, we're going to be spending a year really growing, all of us growing in the most important part of our life, and that's our prayer life. And God is going to take us through a course in this, but in order to grow in our prayer life, and because you know, prayer is really talking to God. It's not gyrations or incantations or, or doing things, saying things over and over. Just, it's not just rote words with no meaning. It's talking to God Himself. And so going through the Ten Commandments, we'll learn more about the very personhood of God and His will, which brings greater conviction in our life and the leadership of the Holy Spirit. So chasing after the will of God is chasing after God, right? One of, a favorite verse, uh, <clears throat> Romans 12, verse 2, do not be conformed to this age or to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that, literally so that we will discern or conviction we will know what is good and pleasing and the perfect will of God. So we choose to leave the conformity of the world and we choose to pursue the very will of God in your life. And so the next thing in arming ourselves, not only chasing the will of God, but also not chasing after sin. It seems to be obvious here, but some people need to be told. Sometimes I need to be told, look, don't chase after that. Don't go after that. Because sin is pleasurable. Isn't that sad? Sin is pleasurable for a season. I mean, isn't that sad? It's just, just sad. So most sin starts off being something great that God has given us, but then the enemy comes and hijacks it and uses it to entice us to do something wrong. And so there's all kinds of things, all kinds of things. So good communication, there's good love, but there can be bad communication, there can be bad love, meaning physical attraction, that can lead to bad things. So sin is pleasurable season, but we are not to go chasing it. Look at what he says. So, uh, verse 3, for there has already been enough time spent in doing the will of the pagans. So he's talking to Christians. You guys have come to know Christ. And everybody used to be something, right? Someone says, man, you won't believe my past. I'm going, I, I will, because I've got one too. <laughs> I'll believe it. I mean, we all, we all were something. And, and, and we all struggle with things, right? So he says, you spent too much time doing that. Now... Look what he says. So don't carry on the things of the pagans. Carry on. As a, as the, here's what the pagans would do. They would carry on in unrestrained behavior. In other words, if they wanted it, they went after it. If it felt good, they wanted to do it. So it's unrestrained behavior. And he names them. Evil desires 
drunkenness, orgies, carousing, lawless idolatry, evil desires. You can draw a line to the human desires and evil desires. It's all inside of us. And he says, stop it. Stop following evil desires. Don't do it. It, it'll be bad for you. And these, this evilness that's inside of us, and it masks itself sometimes as good things, but it's, it's not. And it's, it's knowing the commands of God and the character of God. And all that we do, we keep in check those evil desires. That's what he says. Drunkenness, orgies, carousing is, is you know, just as you look it up, carousing is just a party in order to, in order to get drunk. That's the purpose of the party. And lawless idolatry. It's just, it's just illegal things. It is uh, despicable things. And then he says this, we, and we need to be very, very good at not chasing after sin. We as Christians need to have this conviction that when I am starting to chase after sin, a Holy Spirit alarm bell comes off and goes, no, 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 no. Do you realize that some people's conviction and that alarm bell is louder than others. Did you know that? I mean, Scripture is really clear. If you, if you keep giving in to sinful desires, the alarm bell seems to get quieter and quieter and quieter. It's, it's kind of like a, 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 just a, a noise deprivation. You just, get, you just start uh, our conviction. You start, well, biblically, it's called the hardening of the heart. And when a soft heart, it's like the Lord can just tap you just lightly there's no calluses on your heart. The Lord can just tap you and you go, oh, yeah, okay, I won't go that way. I, I, I sense that. But if my heart is hardened and calloused, I mean, it can be thumping like this and I don't even notice. How does it become hardened? By lack of repentance. Sometimes lack of knowledge. You just didn't know. You didn't, you didn't know these things. But usually it's just, just a lack of discipline and not, not pressing in. But I, I'll tell you this, listen to me. The, the, the not chasing after sin is accomplished by chasing after the will of God. Isn't that easier? Instead of having to worry about all the do's and don'ts and all this stuff, forget about that for a moment. Let's just pursue the will of God, and it seems like these things become really quiet, and the conviction of the Lord becomes very loud. So Mark chapter 7, verse 20 says this, and do not chase after sin. <clears throat> he, then he said, this is Jesus, what comes out of a person, what comes out of a person defiles him. For from within, out of people's hearts comes evil thoughts, sexual immorality, thefts, murder, adulteries, greed, evil actions, deceit, promiscuity, stinginess, blasphemy, pride, foolishness. All these things come from within, and it defiles a person. So a lot of times, we're worried about what people look like on the outside and do on the outside. And Jesus says, I'm worried about what's on the inside. And when you pursue God and you pursue His will, as a Christian, He begins to strengthen you, and you are becoming armed, locked and loaded and ready. So there's other reasons to not chase after sin. Let me give you some motivations. Two of these we'll look at in a second in detail. But here's just some motivations not to chase after sin. Now, you may be uh, in sin right now, and you know it. You may be tempted to commit a sin. You may be tempted to do bad things, harbor bitterness. You may be tempted not to forgive. You may be tempted with an adulterous relationship. 
You may be tempted to steal or to embezzle. You may be tempted in all these kinds of things. Here's why you shouldn't. Here's some motivations to not sin. First of all, the fear of God. We've talked about this from this, bu- from this book of the Bible. The fear of God. It's the respect of God. Um, my dad didn't smack me near as much as he should have. Let's <laughs> just say that. But I'm telling you, he could buckle me with a look. I mean, a look like, that was stupid. Why did you do that? And without saying a word. And I, I would be carrying on, and then I'd look over him, and he'd be like, what? That's stupid. And then just buckle me. Why? Because I had a fear. I had incredible respect for my dad. I had a fear for him. I remember being in a bad place with bad guys about to do something bad, and I remember thinking, what if my dad finds out? And it wasn't, am I worried about getting punished? It's just I did not want to disappoint him. And when you think of God with that type of respect and love on a higher level, much higher level, He's your Father who sent His only begotten Son to die for you, and He's wooing you into Himself. How can we spit in His face? So it's the fear of the Lord. The second thing is just the pursuit of holiness. Listen, (laughs) holiness gets a bad rap these days. I mean, it's like those that make fun of you for being holy, and we'll talk about that in a second. And they say, you don't join in, oh, you're better than us, and they'll say all this. No, 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 that's not it. The issue of holiness is it's fantastic. It's, it's pursuing the presence of God. And when you get to heaven, and you and I experience the full breadth of the glory and the weight of heaven, of the holiness of God, then it will capture your attention and my attention, and you can get a taste of it now. It's not saying I'm better than anybody else, or I'm, I'm good enough now to go to heaven. It's like I just want to bask in the presence of of God. And man, holiness is great. And, and without, well, let's just move on. It avoid, you avoid the bondage and the consequences of sin. Man, we'll get to that in a second. <clears throat> you desire to walk in the Spirit. This is a big one. Man, I really want that. I want that. I, I've walked in the Spirit of Mac long enough. <laughs> yeah. and, and you've walked in your own will long enough. And not that you are bad and I'm necessarily bad as, as humans. I mean, we have a sinful nature. We get that. But not that you're any worse than anybody else. But here's my point. Being led by the Spirit. He knows more than you and I know. He wants to guide us in the right way. He wants to temper us and train us so that we have maximum impact and maximum joy here on earth. Some people think, and I understand why they think this, because sin is pleasurable for a season. Some people think that pursuing righteousness and pursuing the will of God is just fuddy-duddy and not, and not any fun. And, and you, get this, you get this idea that, that those who are Christians don't have much fun as those that are in bondage, so to say, or those that are in sin. And it's just a lie. It just doesn't even equate. What the Spirit wants to do in my life and your life is fantastic. It's, it's glorious. And also, um, if we avoid sin, then we must be a good witness. So, and then also, you, you know the end is near, and we're going to talk about that also in just a second. So here's the bottom line. God is moving towards righteousness, towards holiness. I have a sinful nature that wants to sin, but I have a chooser and a will that I can choose the new nature or the old nature. And if I submit to the Spirit and I chase after His will, then I will grow in these things that the Lord wants me to grow in. But here's the deal. 
Um, God has given you everything you need and me to life and godliness. And that if I so choose to follow after God, God will back that up with his power and the bondage of sin will fall away. Listen to Philippians chapter 2, verse 12 through 13. It says this, So then, my dear friends, just as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now even more in my absence, watch what he says, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who is working in you, enabling you both to desire and to work out of his good pleasure, both to desire and to do. So we're saved, and this Holy, the Holy Spirit that lives inside of us, and the Word of God, and the fellowship, and the gifts, and all that He has given us is wanting to work out in our life if we choose it. And when we choose that direction, it says that He is enabling us to do and to will, to want it, and, and the power to accomplish it. So if, if you're not living after righteousness, or if you're choosing sin, it's because you choose it, it's not because the devil made you do it. It's not because you have no choice. It's not because you're not strong enough. It's not because you have too much influence from the outside. God says, if you are saved, according to this, and you truly want to pursue Him, He will give you all that is needed to enable you to do and to accomplish His very will. So let me ask you, do you want it? Do you want to chase after God? It's here. It's for you and for me. And here's how we do it. So the consequences of sin are, are devastating. And they are, they are, just stay away from sin. Can I just say that? You don't want to do it. It hurts people. It hurts you. It hurts your relationship with God. Stay away from it. I mean, it, it won't do you no good. In fact, the old preacher once said, sin will take you farther than you want to go, make you stay longer than you want to stay, and make you pay more than you could ever pay. It's, you know, people start off, and particularly our young ones, they'll start off and they'll be saying, man, I have a free will, I can do it. Nobody can tell me I can't do this. And they do whatever it is they're doing in this sin. And then you fast forward that picture in that same attitude, and they have no choice any longer. They are in bondage. Well, how's your free will doing now? It's like that fish, out of his free will, can bite that lure as hard as he wants to in the frying pan, eventually. You can choose sin. Don't. As sternly as I, as I can, with whatever pastoral authority the Lord has given me, whatever that means to you, if you are in sin now, and you are about to commit sin, or you're, you're in some type of bondage, stop, repent, and come back to the Lord. And feel His washing from you. Get rid of the negative attitude. And follow Him with all of your heart. Envy, drunkenness, carousing. This is Galatians chapter 5, verse 21. And anything similar, I tell you about these things in advance, as I told you before, that those who practice such things will never inherit the kingdom of God. Here's, here's what he's saying. is that if you, if you repetitively choose this type of sin and you are completely given to that sin you have not given yourself to christ you haven't he goes on to say this he says what look at this text it's really interesting evil desires in regard to this 
they, verse 4, look at this, in regard to these sins, they are surprised that you don't plunge with them into the same flood of dissipation. In other words, there's those that, that love certain sins, and whatever sin it is, it might be overspending, it might be greed, it might be hatred, it might be prejudice, and it might be this. And when you don't join in on the jokes, or you don't join in on the carousing, or into the pornography, or into the, the jokes and all these things, when you don't do it, those people are surprised. Now, they're surprised one of two reasons. They're surprised that you don't because they know other Christians who do. And that is an indictment. They, they feel that the religious people, yeah, everybody does it, so come on in and join us and be a part of this. And then when you don't, they're surprised because you don't do it like their other so-called Christian friends do. Or there's another reason. They could be surprised at just going, man, how do you resist that? How do you, how do you not want to engage in this? How do you, and you just say, look, there is a want to there. there. There is a desire there. But I don't like the consequences. In fact, it's not just that. If that was the only offer, a short-term joy in sin, if that was the only offer, I would go for it. But there's another offer that's out there. I reject the short-term joy of sin, and I go for the eternal joy of the Lord Jesus Christ. And I pursue His Spirit. And it's, it's a big deal. So, arm yourself. Number two, know that the end is near. <laughs> this is a good one. This is a good reason to, to resolve to be like Christ because the end is near. You also must be patient. Strengthen your heart because the Lord's coming is near. James 5.8. Revelation chapter 1, verse 3 says, The one who reads this is blessed, and those who hear the words of this prophecy and keep what is written in it are blessed because the time is near. Romans chapter 13, 11 and 12. Besides this, know the time... It is already the hour for you to wake up from your slumber. For now our salvation is nearer than when, we, when it first appeared. The night is nearly over and the daylight is near. So let us discard the deeds of darkness and put on the armor of light. In other words, listen folks, it's game time. <laughs> Lock and load. Wake up. He's coming. So what does it look like to know that the end is near? First thing he says here is be clear-minded. Be serious, be alert. First Peter chapter 5.8, be serious, be alert. Your adversary, the devil, is prowling around like a roaring lion looking for anyone he can devour. And we're going to be looking at this in a couple of weeks. So realize we need to be clear-minded. We need to know the truth and what God expects. We need to be able to discern because of conviction. Where is a trap and where are the blessings? So we are to be clear-minded. Also, be disciplined in prayer. That's what he says. Discipline yourself in prayer. So it's, it, it means it, it can be used two ways in the genitive. It can be discipline yourself so you can pray, or while you pray, it makes you disciplined. But either way, we know the other commands of Scripture, scripture support both ideas. You need a time, you need a place, and you need a plan when you pray. You need to know when you're going to do it. You, know, you need to know where you're going to do it. And you need to know a plan. You can do, you know, my favorite, which is the Lord's Prayer. Upward, downward, <laughs> inward, and outward. And that's the Lord's Prayer. We'll go over that next year. <laughs> just, just study the Lord's Prayer. We don't have time to go into it right now. And then next, be hospitable. The end is near. Be hospitable. What do you mean? Be a hostess? Yes. What is hospitality? 
Hospitality, let me define it for you, is making people feel at home in your presence. That's a hospitable person. That is the gift of hospitality, making people feel at home in your presence, particularly those that are surprised that you don't join in in what they're doing. Those people that may feel rejected because they have been trapped or they may have a past. These are the people that we are the most hospitable to. People like the Samaritan who was the reject of reject for political reasons, militarily reasons, and religious reasons. They were the rejects. But Jesus says, he's your neighbor, by golly. He's your neighbor. Those that feel the most rejection, those that feel that need the most love, these are the ones that we are to make them feel at home in our presence, to love them, to guide them. In fact, he even says this, be strengthened. Look at verse 8. Above all, keep your love for one another at full strength. Full strength, right? Don't water down your love. You, you just continue to love wave after wave after wave. And then he says this. Here's why. Sincere love covers a multitude of sins. Sincere love covers a multitude of sins. It works like this. Say somebody said really something nasty to you. And the first thing you want to do is... Man, you won't believe what this guy said to me. Could you pray for him with me? Sure. Could you get the prayer circle to pray for this guy, for what he said to me? Can you believe he said this? Next thing you know, everybody's hating on this guy. But here's what love does. Love is the one that either immediately or after some time, you just go back to him and say, hey man, when you said this, this is how it made me react. Was that your goal? No, no, no. I wasn't, that wasn't my goal. Well, tell me what you were thinking. Tell me what, why you were saying that because here's what happened inside me. Maybe I processed it wrong. But the reason I would do this, because I love this guy a lot and love. So imagine you got a big hay field and it's really dry and you start a little fire in this hay field. What's going to happen? Or because you care, you throw a wet blanket right on top of it and it, and it covers that sin from spreading and causing damage. Love covers a multitude of sins. I remember I was at a Little League baseball game, and they were about, I think, fourth or fifth grade. And there's probably 100 people in the stands watching. It was really full, crowded. Ninth inning, bottom of the ninth. The winning, the winning run is on third. A, a little dribbler ball was hit to the second baseman. An easy play. Two outs. Could have ended the ending and extended the game. But the second baseman let it go between his legs. And the winning score came and was scored. And the, the infield lost. That team lost. And I remember watching the reaction of the crowd. It wasn't my kid because I would have been gone nuts, but uh, I, was just, I was just there with some friends and we were watching it. And I remember right when it happened, everybody goes, ah, a little, a little grounder. He could have picked up, fielded. Everybody went, ah, except the kid's mom. It's okay, Bob. Don't you worry about it. It's okay. It's going to be all right. Everybody else is going, he don't get no snow, snow cone. He's not getting a snow cone. But the mom who loved him most covered the multitude of sins, so to say. And also, be a good manager of the grace that's been given you. He says that here. So clearly, take the gift that God has given you based on, look at verse 10, based on the gift they have received, that's you. You've received a gift from God. Everyone should use it to serve others as a good manager's of the very grace of God, the very grace of God, meaning that all of us have received gifts. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 7 says, a demonstration of the Spirit is given to each person to produce what is beneficial. And the Spirit of God gives you gracelets or gifts 
you have a gift, and you and I are to manage our gift in order for us to serve others. So here's what we are to do. We are literally to be armed and ready. We are to know that the end is near. And when all of these things come together, then we actually, our words, our speech should be like the oracles of God. And that's what will happen. And when we serve, we serve in the strength of God and the power of God. And when you're speaking the words of God and you're doing the will of God, the kingdom of God is evident. And many people will be alert and will be saved. Christians will be saved from the bondages of sin. And people who don't know Jesus will be saved, their soul, because of how we reflect the Lord God Almighty. And as we started, we talked about, have you trusted Jesus as Lord and Savior? And he died for you. He, he is here for you. And there's nothing you can do to earn his favor. He already loves you. You surrender. You say, God, not my will. I want yours to be done. Lord, thank you for dying on the cross for me. Come into my heart and make me new. And I will follow you all the days of my life. Have you given your life to Christ? Do it right now. Thank you again for listening to audio from Pastor Mac Roller at Glenmeadows Baptist Church. For previous sermons and more information, please check out our website at gmbc.org. 